You're about to listen to a new episode of Audio Signals. Get ready to take a journey into the known, the unknown, and everything in between. Recorded at no specific point in time nor space, ITSP Magazine's co-founders Marco Cipelli and Sean Martin follow their passion and curiosity as they venture away from the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society to discover new stories worth being told. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Sean. I'm in a different office today. Full yeah, I can hear I can hear the birds. Are, are you inside a video game or I'm a inside movie? Inside a video game, playing uh, playing Pac-Man with birds. Also, I, I heard that you're near some kind of weird tree where you have berries that look berries that look like fruit and you want to eat them. Is there like a little bad if I ate them? Is there a little tag that says "Eat me" or "Drink me"? There is. Are you in uh, Wonderland? I'm in Wonderland. Yes. Blackberry, uh, I blackberry jam, and a blackberry tree. I've never, never seen a blackberry tree. So, so, so as as we were artificial. talking about, as we were talking about before, uh, hitting the recording button. Please do not touch that. Uh, it's quite advice. I'm not going to consume these berries. No, we're, we're not beta testing that tree right now. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, we're back. We're back for the third episode of uh, this audio signal series with our friend Kerry and Raphael. We just published uh, a few days ago the second episode where we talked about the parallel, the many parallels and many differences between. Uh, storytelling and technology and how the parallel and difference in when you apply it to a different media. In our case, we talk about movies, we talk about um, video games, of course, because Raphael and Kerry are expert in that. And, uh, and also the different way of how the media could become the the message as a matter of fact in the notes i kind of made a reference to marshall McLuhan and uh and how the media is the message so that that could be a connection that we can do to start but but today we we're talking to, about artificial intelligence um and uh creative applications is it going to take our jobs is it going to create entire story and music on its own and uh do we really believe that it's going to be possible or not? But again, that sounds like I'm going to just talk to myself, which I do a lot. And uh, that's not going to be the case. So, Sean, I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce Kerry and Raphael. Welcome back, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to introduce you because people at this point, I hope they, they heard the other episode. But uh, how are you guys been doing? Good, good. We are the usual suspects. The usual suspect. Great. I'm, uh, I'm in Vancouver, where it all started for me, I think 20 years ago. 
I'm back, back to base, back to my old um, playing ground. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And uh, literally a little creative spark going from, there. From the black box office. Uh, I'm trying to get it going, Sean, but I don't have forbidden fruit trees around me like you have. <laughs> That's right. I have a little extra something to get me going here. <laughs> <laughs> just, just be careful of any snakes hawking fruit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so I'm intrigued, Gary, about the uh, the 20 year story. What's uh, what, what's going on up there? Can you share? Um, I just came, I mean, I came here to visit a couple of friends and then talk shop with a couple of other friends, but it was interesting to see how the city has changed. Um, and, and, uh, back, back in the day, this was heavily, heavily populated by a lot of game companies and that's all scattered now and you still have a few big ones here. And apparently the movie industry is coming back now after the whole COVID pause. So that's all good. So it, it's definitely refreshing. Vancouver, um, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with this. Raf knows about it. We 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 both uh, we both spent many a many a nights in the studio trying to push games through at the last moment. So definitely brings back um, some of those memories, good and bad. We worked with some fantastic people back in the day. Formed lifelong bonds. So always always good to revisit those in thought and when you getting flashbacks of uh cots and and uh sleeping under the desk (laughs) well i think there was no sleeping involved (laughs) mostly bad pizza and and bad pizza and cold coffee and and really really no showers for a couple of days i make it sound horrible but actually it was it, it was a lot of fun i mean the group of people we 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 worked with were absolutely brilliant, um, uh, Raf included. Um, so yeah. uh, I I'm actually grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, I, I will say that there is something about you know like we, we we sometimes joke about like you know not that crunch is a good thing. It's not um, working crazy nuts of overtime. Um, it, there's not necessarily something bad about doing a little bit of it, um, of working together with folks and, uh, you know, kind of being in the trenches. Um, that, you know, we, we sometimes have a saying that, like, y- y- you find uh, who you can go to war with. <laughs> you know, there, there's a shared suffering and, and you get through it and, and, and there's a bond built for having, having survived it. <laughs> I, I actually yeah. love that, and I, I'm kind of making a connection here with with the last episode that we recorded because we talked about the indie indie scene and and the comparison with the big companies that they they do have a deadline, but mostly it's because they know that's when they can sell the the the, the title, right? Or people expect it, so you know, just make it happen. While the indie companies sometimes may have you know, uh, more limits and frame the, the creativity, framed by budget, by timing, by resources. But the last minute creative input, I mean, I, I come from the advertising agencies and, and the industry, so that the creative need where the day after you have to deliver something, I don't know, it, it works for me. I, <laughs> so <laughs> I, th- I think it's something about having to really call it off. And I think this is, could be our initial conversation about creativity and how maybe we connect it with artificial intelligence. So this is an open question, and maybe each one of you can give me your opinion, is do we, 
need that timeline, that deadline that says, you know, what you got, you got. Because as human, we're always going to try to make something different. We always think it could be better than what it is. And at a certain point, you just need to draw the line. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Rafael, let's start with you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that, that you are absolutely onto something there, which is that if we are told that we have all the time in the world, then things oftentimes don't happen. Um, that uh, yeah, th th there's a delicate balance because um, you want to have a deadline, a goal that you're heading towards, and you want to know like, okay, we because we have a limited amount of time, we have to make choices. Um, we, we prioritize, um, but also sometimes we, we spur ourselves on and, and sometimes we, we do our best work when we're under the gun, you know, um, when, when you're going like, okay, we have a week to get to this thing. Um, you know, I, I, I can remember sitting down on a project and going like, okay, I, I need to, I need to write like 30 pages of script in uh, of, of like dialogue script in the voice of Tolkien for this Hobbit project. I have to go. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and then it's like, it's like okay, I, I know his style. Now I need to write like that really fast. <laughs> um, or, you know, I, or, or sitting down and going like, okay, this, this game needs to come out. Like when, when Carrie and I worked on Need for Speed, it always came out for Black Friday. Um, every year <laughs> and you know and and there's a certain amount of joking of like EA University of like it you know EA taught you the processes of getting through complex production but it also taught you to ship <laughs> and uh, and and to try to get through and make sure that you delivered a polished thing um, where sometimes you just know that like you know you're literally well you feel like you're looking at an hourglass and you feel like you're watching those sands um, you know, fall away. And every moment that you're there is precious because you want to put out something good that your name is on, that you are connected to, that you are professionally invested in, and you have a limited amount of time because there's a corporate, you know, entity going, this thing goes out on this time, or we've committed to this, the marketing is done, any number of things, and you go, it has to happen for here. Yes, we can bump it, but do we want to? Can we make it? Um, there, there's an urgency that that is, um, it's it's not good if it's unyielding, and if it's not good if it doesn't recognize when things go really crazy, but it is good when it goes, this is something to work to, and then if things go mostly according to plan, you get to that, you put it out and you go, now we can rest. <laughs> now we can slow down and recharge and be ready for the next one. Carrie? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, I think definitely right, Raf. And I think, I think um, um, there's a saying, in, in, I think winemakers use that, that uh, a, thirsty, a thirsty vine produces the best fruits. And I think um, to that effect, I think we need constraints. Uh, I think any creative endeavor or any endeavor requires constraints and not just time constraints. We need, we need um, budget constraints and resource constraints. And that forces us to um, really think outside the box and bring out, bring out the best creative um, aspects to, to anything we're doing. Uh, without that, I think you would, you would, soon reach a level of mediocrity that would uh, that would not be good so 
I think constraints are absolutely needed. And I did, certainly haven't built any games, but uh, I don't know how many hundreds of products I've developed and brought to market. And some projects were good, some were horrible. <laughs> we had certainly our share of crunch times as well. And I found that when, when there's a lot of time to be creative, uh, there, there's a tendency to be over creative especially when you're looking to, I'm thinking like the back end and the engines and things like that of an application uh, that drive the, the front end interfaces. Um, engineers generally want to build the perfect thing, right? That will last forever. And that may put the project in a box. And then at the end, the team's in a box trying to get creative. Okay, how do we meet this deadline? So a couple things there, I think over creativity in the front um, obviously, uh, I'd be going against a lot of things I would say in terms of planning up front, saves time in the back end, but over creativity and overthinking and over architecting could put things in jeopardy on the back end, uh, the back end of the schedule. But then that back end where you're, where you're crunched, I often found the teams really got creative, right? So down and dirty, what's it going to take to solve this problem, to get over this hurdle? And... The, the projects I worked on were very technical or in, in nature. Um, not any scripts. There weren't any stories. Well, coming. I also think, um, I don't know what the three of you think, but I also think that sometimes if you have too, too much um, time or resources or unlimited of those, you tend to procrastinate. Well, at least mm -hmm. I tend to do that. If, I, if I've got too much time to finish something, I'll do five other things before I get onto that. And I think that's a, that's a general human condition. You, you know, I think it's a good point. But the other condition that we have is that if you don't have any direction, and right now we've been talking about creating for a commercial purpose, right? It's either a product it, that can be, you know, more artistic, less artistic, more engineer and tech product, but somebody comes to you or even yourself, tell yourself, okay, this is what I need to do. Now, let, let's open the conversation to maybe a more philosophical, wider definition of what is creativity, and then we can connect it with artificial intelligence and see if that can be achieved by artificial intelligence. But I'm thinking like, you know, the typical example of, I don't know, somebody that writes music, uh, and uh, he has a lot of uh, options. Uh, what kind of music do you want to write? Um, a painter that have a white canvas in front of as many colors as they want. But I mean, if you just sit in front of that and be like, wow, I can do so many things, you may end up not doing anything. So again, the restriction, the direction, but first of all, what, what do you think is, I mean, what is creativity for you? Mm -hmm. Right well, so I, I think that, that creativity is, in some respects, um, it's defining the, the play space of your mind. It's saying that you, you have to make choices. They're only, you know, if you throw in everything in the kitchen sink, then the thing that you are making, whatever it is, starts to look bloated. Um, too much is is not a good thing. Um, and, you know, like you could be writing a book and someone is like, well, there's some fantasy and there's some science fiction and there's some historical fiction 
and there's a mystery and there's a little bit of comedy, but there's yeah. also drama. It's too much, like, you, too you much is too, never enough, Raf. It, it, it's saying, too, too much. Too is much. Never enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and and that's the thing is is that you you get to that and you go like, but what is it anymore? Um, it's all of these things, and then it becomes nothing, because um, we as humans, when we think about creativity, we think about someone has gone in and made choices and they have narrowed the field and they give you a vision of something. And that vision has to be singular and not, and, and somewhat narrow in order to be special. If it's too much, if it's too broad, it's watered down. And so th that's, that's kind of a key thing. And, and to, to tie it back to AI, I think that, that one of the things that people often forget is, is that, um, and I'll kind of lead Carrie into this, is, is that a lot of what, a, a lot of people misunderstand what AI is. And a lot of it, you know, just from a layman's perspective, it's really almost accelerated human um, decision-making, but not, 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 the, not the big choices. It's more going, okay, now compare this to this. Now look at this. Now look at 10,000 of these. Um, it's not going, what should I start with? The AI is not sentient. It's not thinking. It's processing. It's basically going, there's an algorithm here that says churn these things, and someone threw some things in to churn. And then this thing is doing it much more efficiently than a human can. And sometimes a human can make those leaps of logic, but sometimes that AI is kind of like 10,000 monkeys in a barrel typing away and they come up with Shakespeare. Um, and, and so the, the human is not removed from the process. The human still needs to make the selection. The human needs to write the algorithm. And this is why, and we can get into it later, legally it's not really still feasible to, have, to apply for a copyright or a patent based on, an, on AI work because it's not actually intelligent because it's not alive, um, but it is useful. And it is a, a thing that we sometimes use to extend ourselves, but Carrie or, or others? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think um, AI definitely speeds up, speeds up a lot of things that otherwise uh, would have taken us. For example, if, if I look at music, if you want to produce this very specific sound, um, in the back in the day, you would, you would I don't know, bang a bunch of objects until you find a sound that you like and then then record it and then put put re-record it and then fine-tune it and start using it in in your piece but now you can easily easily tell uh a software hey i want a sound which, which does these things for me has this dynamic range and it'll go and produce it for you in in five seconds and now you've got so it definitely automates a lot of the stuff that that you did in the past um but the creative aspect still comes from you. And then, uh, Marco, I'm going to go back to the question you first asked about what, what does creativity mean for you? And then I'm going to lead into why AI is so important for that aspect. For me personally, I think, for me personally, creative is the, creativity is the, is the raw expression of yourself, right? And I think for me, that, that raw expression, uh, you can only find it between the space in your thoughts. Our minds are cluttered with thoughts and things. 
but there is that space in between. That is where true creative, your personal true creativity lies. And for me, for me, the space between your thoughts is where your creativity lies. And then to access that, you need to, you need to be able to get things like AI to, well, first of all, you need to have less thoughts. So you're not, you're not bombarded with multiple choices. So reduce the number of choices. And then once you have the choices, automate as much as of, of that you can. So you can access that space between your thoughts to truly express your, your creative self. And that's where I think AI becomes important. Um, lot of the mundane tasks, repetitive tasks that you would otherwise have to do manually. Now you can automate it and it would allow you to think um, and come up with better ideas and stuff like that. So to that, to that um, effect, I think AI is very, very important. The other thing I think AI allows us to do is experiment and experiment very cheaply. And I think that's very important, right? So when we take, we take photography um, 30 years ago before the, uh, the advent of digital cameras, I mean, photography was an actual expensive thing. You, you had to go buy an expensive camera, learn how to, how to do the whole development process. And so it was, I know back in the day, there was even a two-year degree or three-year degree course in photography. But now an iPhone does everything for you. So you focus on composition and creating things, things that you actually enjoy looking at versus worrying about the whole post-production process and stuff like that. So definitely, I think um, AI has helped with that. Yeah, let's see, it's that injection of the human because at, at a very high level, I would say I wouldn't... I wouldn't want AI to replace the creative process. But what you're describing, Carrie, is a collaborative one. Because you, you said exploration, I think. Yes. And earlier you used the drum example of what's the right sound of the drum that I want. And you may not know until you actually hear it for the first time. And you may have hit it in a way that you would normally never hit it. So it's, a, it's the errors, it's the in-betweens like you're talking about. And I often, maybe it's just my own limitation in how I think, but I often look at AI as, as a box that constrains some of that, where it's once it realizes that that particular sound of the drum sells the most albums, it's going to generate that particular sound of the drum as much as it can because it's going to sell the most albums. And so we right. create a world where we're, we're limiting, in my view, limiting the creativity until you get that human punch in there again, poke that finger in there. Uh, there there's, um, I know we're trying to get him on for another episode. Um, a uh, gentleman from Dolby, I met him in, in Ireland when I was out there. He, he and another gentleman were re recreating different sounds with different in instruments. So they actually turned a snare drum into a, a digital, um, I don't even know what you would call it, but it, it didn't make a drum sound. It made more like a, like a keyboard sound. And basically just changing the instruments, putting them on their, on their side and making them sound different. So with AI, yeah, but I think I think discovery that. becomes faster for sure. With AI, a lot of discovery and exploration becomes way way quicker and cheaper. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, l let me just riff on that for a quick second, which is because, um, like, go going back to the camera, um, the camera is interesting, um, partially because, like, if you think about it, what a lot of um, what if you take a modern smartphone camera and it's capturing at night, um, 
what the AI is doing is it's going, I know what this should look like. I've got some frame of reference and now capture enough light to get to that. Um, there's, there's a, there are points where <clears throat> the AI is filling in the gaps where it's going, I know what you're going towards because I've got enough comparison. Let me help you get there. And, and it's that, that assistance. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of just take that over um, to inception. Um, if you remember the creation scene, uh, the architecture creation scene in Inception. Um, there's a notion there of a character's, um, uh, the Ellen Elliot Page's, um, uh, she, she, uh, they're, they're an architect basically, and they are creating a city scene and buildings are moving around. Now, that was created slowly, painstakingly by people. Um, but what they're imagining is that a person is going, moving their arm and going, buildings populate. Which, you know, like on a certain level, that's almost like Dr. Strange going, you know, here, let me move my arm. You know, it, it, it starts to feel like magic, but, um, but the thing is that like, I can remember, um, I can remember, oh, back in 2000, uh, talking to an artist about, uh, an environment artist about how it would be great if we could take a paintbrush in a three, in, in 3D Studio Max and drag it across and have trees appear in a line behind that that there's a, there's a notion there where like, if you can create enough of, I want, I have this expectation and I can tell the AI this thing, can it fill in enough that it can at least give me a good first pass that I can work off of because it can speed up content generation. Um, it, it, it doesn't do anything that I don't want it to. And it's not quite as simple as just Dr. Strange or Elliot Ellen Page waves their hand, but it's, I, I think it's almost like inception. set up this, yeah, 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 inception, like it, there's something there to, can I make this appear in front of me and can it feel like a, a fully realized scene? And I think you, what's interesting here, Raf, is that you bring up an interesting point. I think what, what, um, what I've realized that what, one of the things that AI does is it, it re removes the, or reduces the barriers for creative people to, to get creative. And so now you don't really need to understand the math and the physics behind it. You've got tools that allow you to basically, and that's what I was alluring to uh, uh, earlier on when, when I said that AI automates a lot of stuff so you can actually focus on being creative. And same with the case of the iPhone camera, now you can do a lot of stuff with it without having to worry about the process. Yeah, I, I, I love where we're going because I've been thinking a lot about this and the, the camera is a perfect example and the digital revolution in general is a perfect example where, you know, Raphael, you talk about cameras old school with film, like you, you wouldn't know what you capture and that's where your skill was. Like, do I know what I capture unless 
something eats my uh, film or it gets light or whatever it is, I don't really know what it is until I see it, until I develop it. And I have a limited amount of shot because every roll costs a lot of money, the light setting, whatever it is. And, and now, I again, I, I keep with that example. I can just shoot and I do it, you know, 20 of the same image with different setting on my phone, a different angle, different lighting. Maybe I do a focus on one portion of the image or another, and then I just look at it. So the point is the camera, it doesn't make you a better photographer. It allows you to experiment more. It allows you to get a better picture probably. And, but you're giving the input. So I love this part that is accelerating creativity and artificial intelligence in a way, I feel it's the same, the same thing what you're saying. So it's artificial intelligence, like everything else we have is the tool. So if we have better tool, we can be more creative. We can break the rules. We can make something different by experimenting, but creativity is not taking a, you know, all these colors together and slam it on the wall. I mean, some, try to be artists yes. that way but i don't call that if you don't have an objective in mind that's no creativity for me creativity is breaking knowing the rules and then breaking them for something innovative or recreating or creating brand new rules i mean that, that you're creating new genres of of art or music or whatever it is that you want to do and and we've seen that in movies we've seen that in music uh, I think we're going to, we are going to start seeing that in other aspects too. But but you still yeah. need to know the rules, right? I mean, I, yes. I remember some writers they say, you know, yeah, you can you can break the grammar rules, but you need to know what you're breaking first. You know, yes. absolutely, yes. Well, and and so here, here's an example of that, and 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 this is kind of a walk with me on on this metaphor. Um, so George R. R. Martin. Um, and and Game of Thrones and and you know keep in mind he he's he's writing and is hopefully finishing <laughs> winds, the Winds of Winter and he'll never uh, finish. <laughs> I I I I'm, I'm really love that show, don't you? Um, I, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm actually kind of interested now in the creative process between the show and the books because he's he's exhibiting Stephen what I call Stephen King syndrome. Which is well, his Game books get Thrones, longer and longer. Last season, I, I think Game of Thrones last season, there was no creative process involved. Well, well, Sorry, see, that, that's actually <laughs> see. see that I actually want to use that because if if you look at it, um, there's a point where I, I I sat down in in Wikipedia and looked. It was like okay, his first like the different the distance between the first book and the second book was like a year, and then two years, and then two years, and then four years. And, and then 11 years. <laughs> and yeah, he's been busy and he's doing a lot of things and he's overcommitted to way too much. But the interesting thing there is both he's evolved to the point of where he's his own editor. He doesn't have a deadline unless he sets it up and he can break it. He can now um, restart as many times as he wants to because no one can tell him no. <laughs> um, and so like the urgency is gone because he can he can write indefinitely to get to that perfect book. But even putting aside that deadline and that notion that you're writing to a deadline, and he has been doing it for 11 years now, he's hopefully done, but then it makes me wonder, okay, his last book, 
This is the second to last book. How long is he going to take on the last book? And is he going to live to finish his last book? And will we need AI to finish his last book? But but then the, the problem is, is when I look at the book to the TV series, it almost feels like the TV series is an example of AI. Because if you look at it metaphorically, the book is, is dense and is complicated and has more characters and more events and is much longer. And there's and, and they started the TV show when they had enough of the books in the can that they said, well, if he just continues at this pace, they'll be we'll be done and we can get through seven, eight seasons and we'll get to the whole thing. And then well, he just I, I want to quickly, stopped. quickly jump in here and, and yeah, yeah, one, one clear thing is that um, that I think we need to define, uh, we need to be clear that AI exists in multiple forms, right? And what you're defining here is AI being used to complete or, or take take the framework of a story and, and, and create new stories based on that. But if yeah. you look at the movie process, AI already exists in the production the camera, mm -hmm. the, the lighting, the post-production. So there's AI being used throughout. So so I think that's the other thing. We, we should be careful about basically saying yeah. that AI in general is going to come and create a bunch of stuff. And I think AI exists already. I think where people are a little worried about is that AI can now, you push a button and you tell AI, hey, create me a blockbuster. And it's right, going to right. find all the ingredients and create a blockbuster movie and push well, it out. And that, that's but, not happening. But but see, this is actually the problem with the last uh, with the last seasons in Game of Thrones, which is that they were almost done like how you would set up an AI to do them, and and I'm, and 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 honestly, like no um, no knock against the people who had to do an impossible task, but if you have a really detailed writer. And then he gives you an outline and he gives you, you know, kind of like he's, it's like George R. R. Martin's giving you the algorithm and the range of characters. He's going, these characters and these die, and this is the skeletal structure of the events, and this is where you need to end up, go off and, and do it. Um, the, the AI can fill that out or a bunch of other people can fill that out because that's kind of what the AI is. Uh, in, in how we're talking about it, but that's not as satisfying because what we actually want is his actual work. Like what we have a really hard time getting to is an AI going, let's produce his next book. We can go put something in this general field or make different variations on this JPEG, but it's a lot harder to go do progression, do his next book, so that it fits with his last book. <laughs> right, so, I mean, the, the, the whole procedural logic bit, which, which becomes, which now you get into. All right, so talk, talk about music for a second, where you can say, you know, Carrie, you said, you know, you can tell AI, produce the next blockbuster, the next hit song, right? Producers are already doing that. They just take what works, they put it in the, in the mix, and to be honest, they come out something that is not shit, but it's kind of close to it. My opinion is certainly not going to win the creative award for music of the year. I mean, it, it's I not creativity. It's watered down that, uh, that Rock used earlier. If the it's goal is... So let down common denominator yeah. so they reach as many people as possible. Yeah, I mean, if the goal is I got to sell as many copies because it's going to be liked by as many people as possible, you don't take risk. 
and I think well, artists so they need to take risks. Um, Okay. Marco, that's the difference. I think what you're talking about is data-driven development, and that happens mm -hmm. a lot, right? Where people collect data. I think a classic example would be um, what's the Kevin Spacey TV series, the political TV series, House of Cards. Yeah, it was very data-driven, including from uh, if I'm not wrong, including the opening credits, the this the music used for opening credits. Everything was very data-driven. So they would literally collect data live and based on that, create stuff that people actually enjoyed watching. Uh, still produced decent, very good series, but you got to remember, it, 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 it still required a lot of human input. And even, even with the music where you've got, you've got producers now manufacturing, as I call it, manufactured music or manufactured creativity, it still just creates a baseline and tells them, hey, you've got to have these five ingredients for it to have even a remote chance of being successful. And then they add on top of that. So I mean, a very classic example would be if you go to Ibiza um, and look at all the rave parties and trans parties, and they, they use something known as a beat meter. And based on that, they will, okay, these are the beats that are popular this month. So every techno rave trans stuff is going to be around that same BPM uh, level and with, with nuances so Tisto will have his own take on it a whole bunch of other people will have their own take on it but if you remove the top layer the, the base of it is still that's and I know this because I listen to a lot of trance and rave when I'm writing code or, or reading something really technical because it's a very constant beat in the background but it still produces hits and, and uh, what what DJs and and musicians do is they they've got a base framework to now work from and build on top of that. Mm. So it's sort of a bit of data-driven with AI involved, I think. That, that's the way I look. But so, always, so, always there's a human at the end of it. So let me ask you this. So it, when you involve in the artificial intelligence process, what, what would you expect the result to be? I mean, you still need to tell AI what you're looking for. Absolutely, yes. So it's... So in, in your case, in, in the movie production, or even the music production case, you would say, hey, I'm, I want to create a next, uh, I don't know, a country western song or a next blues song. And so it would, you would want to create some sort of framework or, or set of constraints that within which it needs to pull data and create your, I don't know, the bass tune. And, and then, then you build on top of that. So yes, you're absolutely. And I think that's, that's being done even across the board. I mean, even even book publishers are doing that. Um, anybody who's got any commercial interest, they are doing that. Like they they there is a safety in following some base rules. That's a question because I, I feel I'm I'm a very engineering oriented, and I I'd appreciate the interface and, and the story part of it, obviously. Um, but I think the three of you and maybe Carrie, you're more more like me. I don't know, but um, is there a difference for AI's role in creativity when it comes to things people experience, the sounds, the visuals, the words, the, 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 the writing on whatever is being displayed, for example, versus AI-driven creativity in the engines and the machines and the systems that make it possible? Is there a difference there or, or, or anything worth highlighting, do you think? When you say difference, what, what do you mean in, in terms of the, the actual 
perception. Well, I think one of the, yeah. So one of the things we we started off with, and I don't know if it was when we were recording or not, but is is AI going to take over? Right. Because what I'm hearing is, I love Ralph's example of pulling out a paintbrush and it can paint whatever you want. Right. AI becomes a tool. You you kind of you say I want this and you use the tool to create that. In Absolutely the, yes. So I, I get what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, so, but in it, but building an engine where nobody sees it, um, I don't know. It, it's it's not a paintbrush analogy there. Perhaps maybe it's I don't know. Pull these cogs together or these connect these lines. Um, it's about speeds and feeds and, and processing and things like that, right? So I think there is a difference, and I, I think I think the the key the key thing here is that um, AI speeds up the mundane. So I'm I'm going back to. I'm going back to photography uh, where what AI does for you, it, it takes away things that you're not good at and takes care of it while lets you focus on, on composition and the picture and the framing of that, and which is what you're good at, right? So you don't have to think about things that you're not good at at all. And same is the case with music, right? So if I'm a, for example, if I, if I play the guitar really well, I don't now need to go find a drummer or a bassist, right? I mean, I can get those and still compose tunes. And eventually, if I'm going to go live, I will still need somebody to, to form a full band, but I can get enough music out from my living room and record an album from my living room. So definitely AI helps you do that. Um, it, it creates based on, and, and maybe even a more rudimentary sort of example would be if, uh, and I'm looking at a coffee cup and that, that, so coffee cups, if you look at every single coffee cup, they're mass manufactured. They're all just white, right? And then when coffee shops get it, the white, the same size, the same form, every single one of them. But when you go to coffee shops, the way they stamp their creativity or the brand is that they put a label on it, they add color to it, the sleeves are different. And I think that's where, where the creative part of it comes in, right? You don't have to worry about, if, you, if you're a coffee roaster or a coffee or, or a cafe, you only have to, worry about producing the best coffee and then packaging it in, in a cup which is branded as you. So now people identify this coffee comes from Starbucks, this coffee comes from 49 parallel. So that's what you now focus on, on, on that aspect of your trade craft versus trying to figure out the whole process. And I think that's what AI does, Sean. But so I think when people get worried, I think the, the worry comes from the fact that now Starbucks is going to go out. I'm just going to throw a seed in the ground and tell AI, brew me the best coffee you can. And that's not happening. And that's not happened with music. That's not happened with movies. It's not even happened with photography where we've seen the most dramatic reduction of cost um, and barrier to entry for creative folks. Plus people change. No? I mean, that's yes. the other thing. I think what a human can do that, I don't know if artificial intelligence can, it's to predict what will be the next wave. You know, like look at the, I don't know, the old, old gen, the new generation, I hate the old generation music, right? So <laughs> like that's the, my grandpa used to sing and now they're all listening to, you know, Led Zeppelin again, thank God. But the point is, it's it's hard to predict what will be the next hit. But I feel like, and I may be romantic and naive in this, but when you're an artist, the ideal artist, and that's maybe why many of them, they die poor, 
they don't really think about, is this going to sell? Because then you become something else, right? I mean, there is that vein of, I'm just going to do this because I'm inspired. And then if, you know, if I became, you know, Bonsky or, or I don't know, Van Gogh, I mean, then uh, you, be you it. touch on a very important point yeah. here, Marco, that, that the, the, you use the word got inspired. And I think that's where the human connection comes in. AI cannot, the, the emotional and the inspirational aspect of creativity can only come from humans. Um, we are not there yet with AI, yeah. or I don't think we'll get there anytime soon. If well, and, and, and think of it this way, um, the simulation or the algorithm that the AI is drawing on <clears throat> is always simpler than the human experience. Um, we are the sum of a great many experiences individually. And when someone sits down and writes an algorithm for like, it's easier for that AI to analyze <clears throat> and maybe even look at market trends and pick which artist might be successful than to actually be that artist. Because to be that artist, it could be like, hey, this aspiring rock pop punk singer has, you know, that's 22 years old is pouring their particular suffering into their singing. And the AI isn't complex enough to understand that or to replicate that. Um, you know, if, if we step back and we think about our world as an overall simulation, we go, hey, this person is like an AI. We can't actually replicate the complexity of what they went through or the thoughts that they have or how they reacted to I don't know, Raph. I, I know, I know a few people <laughs> who I could easily say are <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is, you know, like it, there, it's also why not everyone is going to be a good singer not everyone is going to be a good artist as is, is going to be a good painter if we step you back just, we have dashed my hope you completely <laughs> dashed my hope. <laughs> it, it's it's that, that we look across human society and we go this person's a good singer this particular combination of genetics and environment made this person a good painter their experience what they went through we can't replicate that in AI because we just don't feed enough data in and we don't understand what actually makes a, a, like oftentimes the painful thing with a lot of creativity is we know what we like, but oftentimes in a broad sense, we don't know how to get there. We know when someone does it, um, but some things you can't teach. Some things just have to come, spring up and go, that person's amazing. And you can you can analyze it, you can critique it, you can critically review it, but you can't always replicate it. I also think there's oh. a, a, a element of context and the, the moments, and perhaps the moments leading up to the experience and then those following. Um, just the way somebody's presented to you and then how you interact with them. I'm thinking of a singer here, for example. Um, and the emotion they create as you're engaging with them or as they're performing for you, and then the feelings you have following that. I think all of that plays a role. And I don't yeah, know where absolutely. AI fits in, in, in that, but it, it's not just they are a good singer and, and wrote a good song and, and put it put it down on, uh, 
on MP3s, all right. It, it's a lot of times their success is driven by the the full experience, which is much more than just. This. Sorry, I had a quick. I got to quickly jump in. I unfortunately have to jump out uh, because there is a, a main call into a, an urgent work-related stuff, and I need to deal with it. Is that okay? Jump out and then try and jump back in if you guys are still here. Sure, of course. So sorry to do that, I mean, I, um, send, send the AI off to do it. Yeah, send, send your clone. <laughs> Can you send your digital twin? We're not going to tell the difference. My digital, my digital twin is out on the beach drinking margaritas. <laughs> nice. Where's, where's uh, on the beach of Vancouver. Put me to work. On the beaches of Vancouver. He's put me to work. <laughs> My digital thing is smarter than I am. All right, no, not not to worry. It's we, you know, get back if we're still on, or otherwise, you know, it'd be the next episode that we catch up because there is so much to still talk about in this. Oh, so absolutely, no we can we can talk. Yeah, uh, talk take, about this. Take today. care of what you got to take care. Gentlemen, pleasure as you are always, and I will talk to you soon. And thank you for having mm -hmm. me here. All right, it's, no worries, no stuff, worries. Kerry. All right, so I'll, I'll jump Bye. on. Cheers. I'll jump on these as we start maybe wrapping, but I think what Sean said about, and, and Raphael, you were going there as well, like the, the human condition, right? I mean, all the, a lot of great artists were even like very inspired by cultural phenomenon, their own personal life, some of their diseases, uh, you know, the, the, the way they conduct their life. I mean, think about you know, Edgar Allan Poe, just to mention one or, or musicians. But I was just listening a few days ago at an NPR show about it. This kind of like a folk artist, a guitarist. I don't know the name. It's, it's in North Carolina, I believe. And the, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because what Sean said and the fact that I can hear the birds <laughs> wherever you are. And so right. he, titled, he titled his album something like... Uh, crickets, train whistles, and airplanes, or something like that. And so the, the interviewer said, that, well, what, what's up with the title? They said, well, because in the neighborhood where I moved, I could hear, I could, was recording from home, and every time that I was trying to record, I could hear in the background these loud crickets at night <laughs> and the whistle of the train going by and the airplane flying over me. And he said, I was trying to do everything I could to to eliminate it. And then I said, screw it. I'm just going to leave it in the background. So this is a very no, I, example. I cut the train, the train horn that's right by. <laughs> no, but the, the point is he made this decision that gave character to his music that had nothing to do with that. And I don't think the artificial intelligence would have made that decision. No that way. It would have been hell. wrong. Yeah, it would have been like, no, we got to eliminate this because this is not right. This is a this is the disturbance to the music. And then for him, it became the music. Yeah. So I'll, I'll relate that to um, uh, to, to a favorite old, old um, uh, artist, musician, uh, Brian Eno. Um, Brian Eno, as, as an as, as someone who pioneered ambient music um, and, and early electronica, he was often doing electronica before we really kind of understood it as that and, and, and um, pioneering the 
processes of creating the genre. So the, the, there's a particular album that he's got um, on land um, where he was taking recordings of, um, uh, if I remember correctly, like a, a British marshland uh, near him, and <clears throat> he was he was putting together sound banks, um, and and that process of doing it was almost like what a, a a modern sound designer for TV or film or games would be doing, um, and and it's kind of funny. Like he did that album back in '82, and so he was presumably you know recording in in you know probably loosely 79 to 82 around that time period and he was coming out of you know having worked on roxy music and and you know rock music um with with that band um working with brian ferry and others but if you think about it he was doing a completely analog thing and it probably would have been helped in some respect to have been able to have access to current computing technology and AI um, to expand what he was doing and to do some things quicker. Instead, like I, I've, I've read, you know, I've read a book on, on, you know, where he's talking about the creation of that album and like he had a workshop and he had just massive amounts of recordings and, you know, labelings everywhere. And he assembled everything by hand but he went through and he recorded much more than he actually had. And then he selected from that. Um, and so the notion of creating that and going, I think I need to make an album that encapsulates what it feels like to walk through this space. Um, what it feels like to have the ambient sense of this, but to structure that into an album was an intentional choice. Um, and it was, it was fascinating for that. Um, but the thing is that you, you then fast forward to him in 2016 and he's using AI to make music and it's not as compelling. I, and I, I love that you said that because <laughs> as I'm going through this, I'm like, so let's say that at a certain point we, and I know Sean will jump on this because we could go back to the value of the analog versus the digital, you know, vinyl tapes, the way that you said it was used to record. And so if you had to buy, uh, you know, put on auction, the same work made by someone with artificial intelligence, all digital versus the same work, but all made analog, did it take so much more time, so much more labor, a little bit more raw, which one mm -hmm. would you go for? Right. Well, and, and, and but see, this also gets to another thing that, that Sean was getting at, which is, is it the context? Is it that he was, when he had no, no AI, he was also young and hungry and he was just out of rock music and, and excited about pioneering this new thing. Was it the historical context of when he was doing it? And then later on, he's established and he doesn't really have anything to prove and he's kind of fiddling and he can do anything he wants to and he has the money to make whatever he wants to and he has the computing technology and his stuff is no longer as exciting mm -hmm. is it is it his age and his time and where he is is it his socioeconomic status is it that his career is made is it that he's using ai and it's shortcutting processes but it's also taking away decisions that he would have made and we don't really know but it's some combination of those because like I listened to the ship in 2016 and I was like, 
but I go back and I listen to like on land or music for airports and I'm like, there's magic here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it reminds me there's, there's uh, I was in new Orleans one time walking uh, probably to a pub somewhere, but uh, passed by uh, this house. There's a, uh, a small group of people sitting on the, on the stoop and they started performing. And they performed a song, and it was magic. And so I remembered the name of the band, Major Cups, and it was a name. And I, I, when I got home, I found their album. Um, I think it just had a collection of songs. I don't know if it was a full album or not. And it was nice, but not the same. <laughs> no, I'm not, I know I'm, I'm not talking AI here, but, but the point is, back to my point of the moment, there was a moment there they were doing their thing not not how it was recorded but how they wanted to perform and whatever was in their mind at the moment shaped that performance as well my mind and what i was thinking and how i was emotionally or whatever shaped my reception of that and i guess my point is do we see a chance for ai to adjust based on the receiving end so not just creating something static, but creating something dynamic that changes when, when somebody well, that, different that, hears the door. That's why live music, it's different from studio music. Some people just rather hear the live music, maybe a little bit more raw. But if you go with the feedback of the crowd, you know, maybe, maybe even your own experience of being in the street instead of at home or listening to a headset change the experience of listening to their music so it's an interactive right that's know, what i'm wondering can, can, the AI, way, yeah. can you can you tell the ai this is the mood i'm in <laughs> until it can but, figure it out itself but the point is change. this i think i think the point is this sean is like you need to tell ai to do this well the the human nobody's going to tell i mean sure you can have the I don't know, the stage producer or whatever it is, say, hey, you keep going. But I'm pretty sure that a lot of artists will give him the finger and say, I do what I want. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm being an artist here. So <laughs> I think, yeah, there is this thing that AI, you still have to direct it. It's still a tool yeah. that's going to do what you want it to do. Yeah. E e even if you want it to, even if you want it to adjust to, listening to a situation live and then interacting with that, it's still a tool. It's, it's not a self-replicating knowing thing. You'd have to sit down and you'd go, okay, now you're going to do an analytics on this live event and you're going to watch what happens here. But we, we, we basically like, we sometimes make a jump and we go like, Oh no, the AI can, can adjust and it's like no it, it it's always a tool it, it's it's a hammer or it's a chisel um and there's and, and and to that notion of a live performance it's easier to to say record the live performance and record a bunch of live performances and then set the ai to watch those and then have it do something out of that but the ai it's not a ghost in the machine. And because of that, there's something in humans reacting to each other that we don't know how to teach an AI to do. Um, we, we, can we don't to even watch. know. 
Yeah. I, I, I liken it to I liken it to what were the first controls? Uh, so you could control the volume, right? Then then maybe uh, you had the bass and the treble controls, and then some introduced the equalizer. So I'm thinking of AI in that sense, where the stuff's already created. I'm now able to tune it through AI using knobs or whatever to give me an experience that I want. So it's kind of the reverse AI. The equalizer version of AI. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it it's assistance, really. I mean, um, assistance or or you know, it, it's it's a a helping hand. It's a smarter tool, um, and 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 the tricky thing is is that it it works best when you give it large chunks of data. Um, you know, I I I joked with with some folks about how effective I can be dictating to my iPhone but the reality is is that I've corrected it so many times over the course of 12 years now that it's gone in like I I, I can't switch and go from like Apple to Samsung I mean I, I have one of each but like I've fed one thing 12 years of spelling corrections and grammar and and like i can use it to dictate a full email because i've invested the time in basically like leveling it up to like a seven-year-old level it's like it started at like two and, and it, it increased a little bit every every time but i had to grow it and yeah. um and it was it was a painstaking process <laughs> but, but that's the thing is is that like anytime with the ai it's it's you know, I, I, I joke that it's like leveling a, a child, but um, but it's not intelligent. It doesn't grow without me. Um, it, yeah. it needs it, it needs you to constantly invest in it to make forward progress. Yeah, I, I think we should probably close with this because, again, we, we've marked the hour and, you know, we, we lost uh, <laughs> carry on the way. But this was an amazing conversation. And I, I think in the end, we, we kind of all agree that if creative jobs are still relatively safe, we're not going to be taken away by AI, but it's up to us to use it uh, to, to experiment more. To yeah, it brings me back to the last episode. It's all about storytelling. And that, that, that's still necessary. So that whole conversation is super important in the context of this as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, another great conversation. Thank you, Rafael and Kerry. Uh, if uh, you're going to re-listen this, thank you again for being yeah. part of this. And Sean, please don't eat those blackberries. Not, eat, Not a good idea. Nor nor the birds. I don't eat the birds. Nor the birds. No, not the birds. It's not a video game. You're not. It's not Pokemon Go. So don't, don't uh, do anything. Avoid the snakes in the trees. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're not going to give you knowledge. <laughs> funny enough, we barely touched on video games this time, but uh, yeah, that's all good. That's all good. We we yeah. got many more conversations and ideas coming up. But this oh, yeah. was we have time to stuff our hands Absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone, and stay tuned for the next episode. And uh, catch catch back up on the on the first two. I think you will enjoy it. Thank you very much.
Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, and some even beyond that.